Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I am Mitchell Kaminsky, and joining alongside me is special guest Daniel Kaminsky, filling in for Marshall Macaluso, who is out doing uh, his Whole Foods work uh, for Amazon. Uh, yes, feeding the corporate beast that is Jeff Bezos. But he will be back later this week. We'll have an episode. But we have Danny filling in for now. How are you? Uh, nice to be here. How about you? It's been, been a while since I've done this. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. I think his last one he was on was our playoff podcast for the NFL, and we did our picks, and uh, we did pretty well on those uh, opening round predictions. I think the one game we both missed was the Bears Eagles game, which unfortunately ended in Let's the uh, double doink. That. Yeah, so we don't have to. We don't have to get into that one. Uh, but sports are back in full throttle this week. We had both the Cubs and the White Sox playing. Uh, we had the Blackhawks back. So and the NBA bubble obviously uh, in session. But the big news for us uh, Chicago fans was the Blackhawks, who had no business making the playoffs. They obviously should not have made the playoffs, but the COVID uh, pandemic hit, and they decided to do the uh, bubble cities where 24 teams were able to make it. Uh, the Blackhawks were one of those 24. They were a 12 seed facing the 5 seed Edmonton Oilers, and they upset them in that best of five series, three games to one, knocking out the uh, possibly the best player in the NHL. I think he is in Connor McDavid, and uh, it was quite an upset. Uh, and now they will be facing the Las Vegas Golden Knights in the opening round of the playoffs. So this is a team that really had no business making the postseason. Uh, they weren't gonna make the postseason, and now they are in the playoffs. But uh, which is like, very exciting. I mean, I was watching every game, staying up for all of them, um, and uh, I haven't been watching hockey in a while. And it was nice to kind of get back into the uh, spirit of things because the Hawks haven't been all that good. But the side note is uh, the way the NHL lottery worked for their draft. Um, when they did the lottery, the number one overall pick wasn't decided, so it was going to be one of the teams that made the bubble. Uh, one of the teams that gets knocked out would have a chance at winning the uh, lottery pick. So the Blackhawks had the opportunity to do so, and in this year's lottery, they have uh, Alex Lafonnier, who is the number one overall prospect, supposedly a generational talent. The Hawks had a chance to get him, and now those hopes have been squashed with their win over the Edmonton Oilers. So kind of mixed feelings. Uh, we'll start uh, with you, Danny. How, what are your first impressions of that Hawks-Oilers series? And do you think they can make any noise uh, in the uh, postseason? Well, first of all, it was just relieving to see the Hawks in the postseason again it's been a while and it just them playing postseason hockey again was just so refreshing but as for their any hopes of making the cup I think this is the end of the line I don't see them maybe winning a game against the Vegas Golden Knights a team that has quite frankly dominated them the past couple seasons I but the only way I the only way I see the Hawks coming out and even making this competitive, their defense just has to be better. Very sloppy. Even in the game, you saw the last game, defense was pretty awful. I mean, Crawford bailed them out. They had some timely scoring. But in terms of realistically, I, I think this is the end of the road for the Hawks. I think the Knights are going to come out, just overwhelm them. But, you know, it, it was all things considered, nice to see the Hawks back in in the playoffs, but I just don't see them making a run this time around. Now, were you because now knowing that you don't think they're going to make a run, were you rooting for them to get knocked out so they had the chance at the number one overall pick, or were you hoping they would advance? And you're like, well, we probably wouldn't get the number over one overall pick anyway. Uh, let's uh, you know go for it and see what happens. Well, they kind of screwed themselves earlier before this whole COVID situation happened. They were in a spot where yes, they were still in 
They were they weren't going to make the playoffs, but they were still in a position where they're in the middle of the pack. They're not going to have a huge like chance like the Red Wings. Maybe not terrible enough like the Red Wings. Yeah, make, but the way it a, ended up with the lottery, they did have a chance. That's what I'm saying. So yes, they were a bad. A they were going to have a bad draft pick. Uh, it looked like, and then it ended up working out for them. I uh, see. I'm in the opposite. I feel like with the matchup they ended up getting, because like the the options were going to be either St. Louis, Colorado, or the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, I think Colorado, they no chance of winning that. Colorado looked really good this year. Uh, a lot of depth on that team and a lot of speed. And the Hawks never played well in Colorado, even uh, when the Colorado Avalanche were a bad team. Now they got a good team this year. The Hawks probably weren't getting by them. I think that would, they would not have matched up well uh, against the Avalanche. I do think, though, against the Vegas Golden Knights and the Blues, they have a chance. Especially Vegas, I think they have a really good chance. I think th- th- this is going to come down to goaltending. Obviously, a side note is Robin Leonard, who is a Blackhawks goalie this year. They tried to get him signed to a contract extension. Things didn't work out. The Hawks were out of the playoffs. They shipped him off to Vegas for Malcolm Subban. And now he's going to be playing against his former team. And he said uh, he's very excited about that. And they also have Marc-Andre Fleury. So they have a good goalie tandem. Corey Crawford on the other end, he's coming off the coronavirus stint where he came into the Hawks camp preparing for the bubble. And he was deemed unfit to play. He turned out he had the coronavirus. He ended up getting better in time for the series, but you could tell he was rusty. And you can't have a rusty Crawford in these postseason games. And he looked—he didn't look all that great. I think he was just average throughout. And that last game, he really stepped up and stood on his head. Because uh, me and Marshall were texting about this. The Hawks had no business winning that last game. They really shouldn't. And that game, if you looked at the flow of it, the Oilers were really close to tying it. And then they, they took a dumb penalty. I think they had too many men on the ice. And... Uh, for the last two minutes when they were about to pull the goalie, and then they ended up having to kill off a power play. So that helped the Hawks a lot. Um, and the the Oilers, are, I mean, their bread and butter is the power play. So, like, that's why they were so good, because they were historically good uh, scoring on the power play this year. And uh, the Hawks, you know, the key for them was to stay out of the box. So they have a whole different beast in the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Obviously, they have Marshall and uh, Tuck. Um, they got some great defensive players too. So it will be a challenge, but I do think they can beat them. And there's two guys that really stood out to me in this series. We'll see who stood out to you uh, in a second, Dan. Uh, I like Jonathan Taves, number one. Um, yes. I think the captain, he's your best player. At one point, people saying he's the best in the world. He kind of fell off a little bit. People were questioning him. I know, old man Taves, does he still have it anymore? And he really stepped up as the captain and was the leader. That last goal that they scored to end up being the go-ahead goal, uh, he won a battle behind the, the on the boards. It was a 50-50 battle. He came away with it, made a great pass to set up. Uh, the game-winning goal. He also he scored throughout the series. He came up with some big plays. That's what you want your captain, one of your best players to do, which is nice to see because Patrick Kane, who I think is the Hawks' best player, nowhere to be found in the series. So yes. it was nice to see the captain step up. Uh, number two, Kirby Doc really jumped off the page for me. He didn't score this series, but the fact one, this kid's 19 years old, and he was a high draft pick for the Hawks a couple years ago. He developed a ton of scoring chances for him. He plays good defense, and he's not afraid to hit people. The Hawks, historically, you know, they're not a very physical team. Um, And he's out there, he's hitting people, taking bodies, uh, which is nice to see for someone being so aggressive. He's got a little bit of Marion Hosa in him. Uh, The scoring will come, but he was developing good chances. He was playing both ways, uh, and so I was very impressed by his game, and he'll be important in the next series. No one guy, I know it was maybe just a one-game thing, but Dominic Kubelik, he's been doing it all year. He had five points in that first game. He had six total this whole series, plus two. 
the entire series. He's another guy been just on fire the entire season and just yeah. came out in that first game. He really got them that came out with a, a different kind of energy, one we hadn't seen from really anyone in the this Hawks team the past like two weeks of the, before COVID hit. And Kubalik to me, that was just a the boost they needed to start that series and really jump-started them and got them that nice momentum after that first game. And another interesting thing i like to point out about Corey Crawford is the numbers, really, you look at the numbers he put up in the regular season. They were pretty good. No, he was really like, good this the, regular season. Yeah, six, they had the best goalie six, talent in the NHL, I think. 16-20, obviously that's not sub-500, but you're putting up a 277 goals against and a 917 save percentage. That's going to get the job done oh, for, for most sure. teams. And to be honest, you said it yourself. I mean, Rusty coming in after he'd been out with, out from the team for the, a few weeks during that summer camp. But when Crawford, really, you look at the last two Stanley Cups, in my opinion, the MVP of that team has been Crawford both times. I feel like he got yeah. snubbed of a, a con smite maybe once or twice. But really, if you he, he needs to be hot and consistent like he did in that Boston series or the um, – the Tampa Bay one. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that Adam, Adam John Scott was on uh, ESPN's Waddle and Silly earlier this week. And he was talking about how Corey Crawford and most goalies, it's the case with most goalies, they like to see a lot of shots and pucks. So he would say after practice, Crawford would be like, 50 shots in my glove hand. So just repetition of seeing the pucks. All right, then I want 55 hole, 50 blocker side. So you just have to see a lot of pucks. And because he was late to camp with the coronavirus thing, it was, you know, you don't know how many shots he'd been seeing going into that series, so he's understandably rusty, but he came up huge in that final game. And that's going to be, you know, and that's why a lot of people question the Hawks, whether they can go this this far and make a run. I like the fact that they got some guys, a nice mix of young people, young legs, young talent. They're going to be hungry. They haven't won before. And then the mix of these veterans like Keith, Taves, Kane, that have been there. They have that playoff experience, bent the battles, they know what it takes to win. And I think you saw that with Taves this series against the Oilers. But their defense is pretty horrible. It's, and that Oilers series was bad. I think your best defenseman yeah, right now is Oily Mata. And, you know, he's not that great. They're in there are bad in their own zone. And I think they've always been kind of horrible in their own zone. But I think it was game three. And the Hawks ended up winning this game. But the two goals they gave up, they won four to three. Two of these goals were horrible turnovers. They won, they won the faceoff. And then they turned it over behind the net. Ended up in McDavid goal. You can't have that happen. Then another one, I think it was, uh, who was 36 um, for the Hawks? Highmore. Highmore. He turned it over, too. That ended up in a goal. Uh, he obviously made up for it later, scoring well, the game uh, winning goal later in that game. But uh, they're bad in their defensive zone, so Crawford's going to need to come up big if they want any shot of winning this thing. Also, I thought it was pretty interesting, too, just the lack of depth they have in their defense. I saw several times on the power play, maybe once or twice, they Carlton put out five forwards on the power play. Yeah. Not a defenseman to be found. So it's just, right now, it's just a tale of, like, two sides. You got these young, like, bright young players they have on their forwards and just an old crippled down defensive core and by the way it, it's just it's just one thing you, you, you need consistency obviously yeah. and they don't have that right now especially well, in their de- defensive end for the Hawks to win these games it's tough to do in the playoffs because playoffs obviously tighten up they need to score four or five goals a game to win these things. So they're going to need Crawford doubt. to do well. They're going to need their guys to step up and uh, they do have some peace like I mean this team I think can knock off the Golden Knights I think they can win this one. It's going to be a tight series, 
and they're not favored to win by any means. Obviously, there's an eight seed coming into this, but I think this is a very winnable series. Now, obviously, you're going to have Fleury and uh, Leitner who are going to be pretty good goaltending-wise for them, uh, or Leonard, excuse me. Uh, but, you know, you got Saad, good two-way player. You got Kirby Doc, who's kind of coming into his own. You got Taves, who's playing good. You need Kane to step up, but I don't think he's going to be cold that much. Like, I mean, how long is he going to be cold? I think he will start to heat it up, turn it on there. Uh, you got Debrinkit, didn't really do anything. Obviously, a talented player. I think he can step up. So you got some guys offensively that can put up some numbers. And the fact that a lot of these star guys, like Debrinkit, Saad, Kane, nowhere to be found, and they were able to win despite that, uh, that's a good sign because the Oilers are a very good team. Now it's going to be a whole different beast with the Golden Knights. But I am optimistic. It should definitely be fun to watch. All right, we're just going to move on. We're going to talk uh, We're going to talk a little bit NBA bubble action very quick. Quick shout-out to Devin Booker of the Suns. 4-0 in the bubble. I think 5-0 now. 5-0. 5-0 now. They have not lost. Me and Marshall, we were at a game earlier this year. Without our support, they would be nothing. DeAndre Aiden was making a mockery of Cristiano Felicio in the paint. Devin Booker, he's a walking bucket. I am really, really pulling for these guys to sneak in. That would be awesome because the whole reason that Stern and the NBA did this ridiculous, like all these extra teams added to the bubble instead of just going straight to the playoffs, because we kind of knew who the playoff teams were, was because they wanted Zion to get in. And Zion's been a joke. He's been sitting, he's been overweight. When he does play, he's playing 15 minutes. Tremendous talent. I'm not knocking Zion, but he hasn't looked all that good and he hasn't lived up to the hype. And the Pelicans, quite frankly, they don't care that the NBA wants Zion to be playing. Um, so he's looked pretty horrible in this bubble, uh, and they're not going to make it. Blazers could be interesting. We'll get more in-depth with that later. But shout-out to Devin Booker and the Suns. No. He has been phenomenal this in this bubble. No, I, well, that was my bad, actually. They are 4-0, but that's beside the point. How do you, how do you feel? Uh, Draymond Green, he was on Inside the NBA yet. The other day, and he got a fifty thousand dollar fine for tampering, saying he wants Devin Booker. He thinks Devin Booker should be traded so he can go and win with an actual team. Well, you know, I know that's how they do it in Golden State, getting a bunch of mercenaries. But honestly, I had no problem with Draymond saying that because he was very entertaining and he did a good job oh, inside the NBA. He fit right in with Chuck and uh, Chuck and Kenny and all those guys, so he was being entertaining. So I, I think he did a good job there. As far as that comment in particular. I mean, Devin Booker has kind of had the thing, like kind of like Michael Jordan, Jordan early in his career, where he only scores, uh, he's not a winner. He has heard that a lot. The guy, I was reading, the Sports Illustrated article came out about him, and it was very interesting, talking about his work ethic, phenomenal work ethic. They had a drill when they were working him out as a rookie before deciding to draft him, where it would be like one-on-one knockout, and if he scored, you'd say it, and then they'd move it on. Well, he scored 10 times in a row, and then the assistant coach of the Suns came in, and he's like, all right, let's mix it up. And he's like, no, we're not going. We're not switching until someone beats me one-on-one. So he's got the competitive fire there, uh, multi-talented. He insists on guarding the best player for their team every game. So this guy's a gamer, and obviously the Suns want to build around him. They had an offer from the Thunder on draft day to uh, switch trade for him because the Thunder wanted to trade up for him. And they turned that trade down. So they obviously like him a lot. And now finally, for the first time, because Devin Booker was surrounded by a lot of trash early, his first four years of his career. But I think this year, and they had some injuries, but you're seeing a team that they got Booker signed long-term. They got DeAndre Aiden on a rookie deal. And he kind of got lost in the mix with the Luka Doncic's of the Trae world Young. and the Trey Young. Yeah. But he's been a very solid player. I mean, yeah, yeah, he is a very good center, above average. If it was the 90s, he'd be a great player in this league. He's a very good center. You got Marco Rubio, who, is he a top-tier point guard? No. But Marco Rubio is nice because he's pass-first. He's got very solid footwork. 
Uh, he gets them the ball, and he can play good defense. He's a tough defender. He can get you a couple points if you need to. I think he had four, he had four po- six points, I think, in the uh, final quarter against the Heat, and they were six pretty big points. So he's nice because he kind of complements Rubio very well. Kelly Olenek, a big guy that can clog up the middle. I like uh, Kelly Oubre, Kelly too. Oubre, they have, he's to also on a long-term deal. So they got some pieces there that they can build around. They can add a couple guys. Uh, and I think they're playing right now uh, with nothing to lose because they figure they're going to get eliminated. And they probably still will. It's an uphill climb. But the fact they're 4-0, they've knocked off some good teams, is a positive sign. And I kind of hope he stays in Phoenix and turns it around. And I think and, he said he wanted to, too. So. You know, even, even role players, guys like Dario Saric, Elon, uh, Aaron Baines, guys who have been in the postseason before, decent Kelly, Player that's what I meant. Hey, I said Kelly Olenek. He's on the Heat. Aaron Baines is the guy Aaron I was Baines, thinking yeah. of. Yes, yes. That's, Those guys, good experience guy, veteran guys that can are very good to have around the team, role player wise. Now, as the team currently constructed, are they gonna? They're not winning not. any titles no. right now, but they got a solid base to build upon. If they add a couple more pieces here and there, that could be a good team. All right, final topic. Uh, of the night, and me and Marshall will get into a uh, playoff preview later, so stay tuned for that. But we're going to check in on the MLB. Uh, last time we were talking MLB, the Marlins almost ruined the season for everyone. They are now back, and now it is the Cardinals that are ruining everything for everyone. And, you know, th- I don't say this very often. I do feel bad for the Chicago Cubs because they're one of the few teams in the MLB that have no COVID test throughout the team. They've been taking it very seriously. David Ross, uh, top to bottom from the organization, they've done a good job containing it. They're taking it seriously. No cases. Then the Cardinals come rolling into town because a couple guys decided to go to the casino, and they have ruined it for the Cubs, where now they just missed a whole series. Uh, they were supposed to be on Sunday Night Baseball. The Cardinals actually did America a favor, so now we're going to see the White Sox and their young talent. That's going to be a much better game anyway. But the Cubs got screwed out of three games. Uh, against the Cardinals when they did everything right. And this has happened a lot, like the Phillies when they were playing the Marlins. So now it comes to the situation where near the end of the year, the Cubs could be a better team record-wise, but they're missing three games, and all of a sudden winning percentage comes into play, and they get screwed because the Cardinals, they, they couldn't make up that Cardinal series. And I don't know how they're going to make it up because they're not supposed to go to St. Louis any other time this year. So, you know, Rob Manfred, this is another thing, and we've been critics of him throughout the season. I think he handled the Joe Kelly situation horribly. We're obviously very late on that, but he should not have been suspended eight games. Uh, you got to let the, you know, he mishandled the Astros thing. He mishandled the Joe Kelly thing. And now he comes out and he's saying like, oh, you know, I'm not a quitter. The rest of the MLB needs to take it seriously. That sounds so stupid. It's like, come out with a plan and say you're with him instead of dividing him further. You know, they need to come out with stricter restrictions uh, on what these players can and can't do. And that's why they're way behind the eight ball on this thing, and this is happening because it's kind of like they're just adjusting on the fly like, oh, well, no, now this team has it, so now we got to cancel this series. And what's going to happen if this happens in the playoffs? Postseason rolls around, and you got the Dodgers, they test positive, or the Yankees, and now they can't play a series for three days. How is that going to work? You know, they should have been on top of this a while ago, and you could see it happen. It was going to, you could see it happening, and they think, well, you know, just the Marlins and the Cardinals are going to get it. This is going to happen to more teams if he doesn't put down strict restrictions on it, but, um, sorry, a little side tangent there. No. Uh, yeah, no, do you have anything I, I, I think the one thing that just scares me, or not re- say, d- concerns me, I should say, is we we don't know when the Cardinals are going to play again, or when how long this is going to last, because they just came out today saying members are going to the emergency room for all these, for some of the symptoms, some of the players, and so, 
and some of the American League teams, like the Tigers, White Sox, playing them upcoming. That's this is one of the only times no, you, got, you got the Cubs. One thing with the Cubs, though, they'll play them again, so they can afford to do double headers down the road. Where these American League teams, you're playing them one one two series a, this whole season, so you got to stack up all these games toward the end, and it's going to take a, a toll. And it's not really fair to these teams like the Cubs who are taking this seriously, and you just. What concerning to me is just the what we just don't know how long this will go on and what and the, really I don't know. It's, yeah, it's it, just really frustrating. It is that. frustrating, especially like I said, you got a team like the Cubs is doing everything right, and now they have to miss games for it, which is no good. So they gotta they gotta nip this thing uh, in the bud and figure figure it out. So that's no good. But checking in, we'll go just strictly the Cubs and White Sox perspective. Cubs are ten and three right now. They look really well, good. Um, the White Sox seven and six, I believe. I believe eight and seven. Eight and seven. Eight and seven. One game over five hundred. Uh, we are recording this currently right before they play the Indians on Sunday Night Baseball. Giolito versus Bieber. You'll know the result by the time you listen to this, but that should be a tremendous pitching matchup. I'm predicting the Sox win four to three. So there you go. Predicting the future. Um, but yeah, so the, it's been a weird mix because the Cubs, we pre- I predicted they would have a horrible bullpen. Didn't take any genius to pick, figure that out. They just picked up Calvin Herrera, who's the White Sox sloppy seconds. He stinks. So if it was 2014 with Calvin Herrera and Craig Kimbrell, they'd have an excellent team. But the bullpen's basically been a dumpster fire. Their offense has uh, been pretty good, and the starting pitching is really overachieved. Kyle Hendricks has been good. John Lester's been phenomenal. Hugh Darvish is starting to figure it out. And... Uh, uh, Chad, uh, who's that? Tyler Chatwood Tyler has been uh, really good for the Cubs. He's been kind of the surprise of the year for him. So I was wrong on their starting pitch. I didn't think their starting pitching would be that great, and I didn't know the offense would be producing like this. They're off to a good start. So uh, we'll see if they can maintain it. I was wrong about them. The White Sox perspective now. Um, their bullpen has been as good as advertised. You know, Steve Ciszek, I, I wish he'd be a little bit better. That's fine. The starting rotation's been pretty horrible to start the year. Starting rotation's starting to figure, and the offense was great to start the season. They were averaging like six runs a game for their first couple games. They looked good. Now the starting rotation's starting to figure it out, and the offense can't score any runs. So I don't know what's going on. I think part of the problem, though, is Ricky Renteria and his lineups, and that's what I want to get into to our topic today. I have been a huge Rick Renteria fan. I've been a Rick Renteria defender. I met him at SoxFest. Could not be nicer. You know, he gets the guys to hustle. They had these garbage teams with the Yolmer Sanchez's and the Tyler Saladinos of the world, and they came out and they play hard and they put a product on the field. We're like, yeah, okay, I can watch this team. I know they're horrible, but they bust their ass on the line. They play hard. Uh, you know, they, they, they don't, Ricky's boys don't quit. You know, I like that mentality. He can speak Spanish. He can reach the Latin guys. I think the players like him. But some of his in-game managing decisions as far as strategy-wise, have been questionable to say the least. I think one of these games against Cleveland, he trots out a Cactus League lineup where he's got Zach Collins, Nicky Delmonico batting cleanup, uh, Adam Angle in right. I mean, he's putting out some of these these guys that it's like some head scratching lineups. Um, he had Robert leading off, which I liked. I think that was nice. And now he's moved him inexplicably. Down to seventh, Leary Garcia's batting leadoff tonight. They had Yoman Moncada yesterday. He's kind of shuffling things around. Uh, Eloy Jimenez was batting second. It's been uh, he's mixing everything around. 
not, and I haven't been a huge fan of the lineups, and I think it's costing him games. And I think now that you're a good team, he deserved the benefit of doubt to manage a winning team because he had nothing to work with last year. Now that he does have some things to work with, and mind you, I know there's been injuries, but I am not a fan of the lineup, and I think it's cost him some games with the way this offense is structured because they'll come in and a rally will be killed. Yasmani Grandal should not be batting cleanup. He should not be hitting cleanup. He's a career like 240 hitter. He's not driving in any RBIs. He's more of a, he gets on base. He walks. So why is he batting there? I mean, I don't know. There's, if, if my ideal lineup, and I'll let you hear your response, but this is what I would like to see. This is everyone healthy. You have Tim Anderson back. Okay, I'd still have Robert one because he's got some protection. And Ozzie Gein even said earlier, when they had him down at like 7th, they were like, oh, you know, maybe they want to protect him. Protect him from what? What's he need protection from? He's raking. He has the highest war in baseball right now. Robert leading off. He can get speed, he can hit for power, he hits for contact, he gets on base. Robert one, Moncada two. I think he's probably our best hitter besides Robert right now. I like our best hitter batting second. Joel Moncada number two. Jose Abreu number three. Constant pro, I like him right there. Eloy number four, he can clean up things. Then I'll go Yasmani number five. Uh, if Edwin's back, I'll have Edwin six. Uh, if not, uh, maybe like a McCann or something, whoever's DHing. Um, and then I'll have Nomar 7, uh, Leary 8, Angle 9. And I, I, I have, like, Adam Angle's play has been pretty good of late, so I'm pretty happy uh, with that. Uh, or no, I guess it'll be Mendek, not, excuse me, M- Mendek would be number 9. Uh, and you can plug and place uh, Angle and Mazzari, you can mix them up. But that's what I would like to see the lineup to be. Your thoughts, because I know you don't agree, you've been a Rick Renter yeah, defender. I, I mean, just simply, just simply because there's still... One th- so, first of all, one thing I would like to get out of the way, this is a team that's been plagued with injuries the past two weeks. Yeah, everyone's and had t- injuries, though. T- well, the White Sox, especially this past week, it's just been ridiculous. Like, Aaron Bummer going down the other day, that's going to be a killer. But that's just aside from the point. But when Tim Anderson gets back, I disagree. I love the, I want I want him in the leadoff spot again. But he doesn't I mean, walk. I mean, he, yeah, he gets on he, he gets, gets on, on base, he'll steal bases. He gets hits. He can hit, but how sustainable? Like do you really think he's going to be a career 300 hitter? No. Like he had a phenomenal year last year. He's not going to maintain that. I think he's going to be like a 270 hitter. I so disagree. if you have a 270 hitter that's not walking, he should not be anywhere near the leadoff spot. I don't think we've seen the peak of Tim, Tim Anderson. Okay, no, There's neither do not I. Not even close. But he's added more power to his game. He's not going to be hitting that high of an average every year like last year yeah he'll, he'll hit for a high average he's not gonna be in the 300s every year and if you look at his on base percentage it was only like 10 10 points higher than his batting average so he doesn't get like unless he's hitting like he's not getting on base where robert even as a rookie he he's been taking some good at bats and he can walk yeah down the stretch but this season i i like um, Anderson in the leadoff spot. You take the pressure off your rookie center fielder, who's, yes, he does look polished, but, you know, he is still a rookie. You take pressure off from him, he's done, he did well in the sixth spot, in my opinion. And I like Mancata at two, like you said, Abreu at third, and I do like Grandal at four, and I, that's where I disagree with you there. He, currently, he's tied for first in on-base percentage. So, it so that's and, what but and again he's a guy who gets on base he drives in runners or excuse me he's tied for first in RBIs he's currently third on the team in on base percentage so that's what in my opinion a, a cleanup guy can do you drive in runs you get on base too 
No, the cleanup guy right is supposed now. to be driving in runs, and, and the reason he's, he's driving in the most runs is because he's had the most opportunities to do so. A lot of these other guys, he's like, gotten like them in. now, I don't know. He's, what was his batting average this year? How many home runs Again, does he have? He's not. It's not like he has a ton of RBIs. None of the guys the have a lot th- of RBIs. Like Adam Angle's leading the team in slugging percentage, so he's not doing that great of a job in cleanup. So if Adam Angle and Leary Garcia are one and two in slugging, okay, so Moncada passed because he had that garbage time yeah. home run uh, the other day. But like, he's not doing his job. Like, where is he? Is he anywhere in the top five in slugging percentage on this team? No, he's not a cleanup hitter. Curr- he should not be batting cleanup. He's currently number six. He on gets on team. base, like you said. He should be batting like sixth in the lineup, so he can kind of restart things, restart a rally down to like the sixth spot. That's where I would have him. It- I hear you, and the I'd like to see him get his power. I need to see him hit more home runs. Why we brought him in? He's a power. Hitting even catcher, if he just walks but, and plays right. good defense at catcher, but he hasn't even played that great a defense at catcher. If you look, I haven't seen anything from him that made him look that great defensively. Yeah, that's a lot of pass balls ago. I know that. I mean, yes, but, but I, again, he's he's getting used to the these pitchers, their tendencies. That's always a difficult thing moving teams. I know, obviously that. He's an all-star catcher so much. In summer camp. He had summer camp for that. Again, that doesn't mean you're going to translate over to the season. It still takes a while to figure out your pitchers and all that. He was touted as the best defensive catcher in baseball, and he is a great pitch framer, and I think, yeah, there's a case to be made defensively, but he has not shown it with the White Sox, and he should not be batting for it. Tim Anderson, I don't like Tim Anderson leading off, but if you're going to bat him lead off, fine. I can live with that. I do not like... Yeah, it's Monty Grandal batting cleanup, and I do not like these Nicky Delmonico's in the lineup. He finally well, got sent yeah. down, but there is no he reason for him to be Delmonico. in the lineup. Zach Collins hasn't got a hit all year. He keeps getting thrown in the lineup. It's like, we're trying to win games here. What the, what the hell is going on? Well, again, with guys injured, you got Encar- who knows when Encarnacion's going to be back. Ah. Mazzara, he's gotten banged okay. up. Okay, here's another one. Mazzara hits great off of left-handed pitchers. All right, righties, or, or right, excuse me, right-handed pitchers. He's been good off of right-handed pitchers. Lefties, he kind of struggles. The other day, right-hander on the mound, nowhere to be found in the lineup. Like, isn't that why we have Mazzara, to hit righties? And he's not in the lineup. What are you doing, Ricky? Next day, he's back in the lineup. It's like, what the hell is going on here? One thing I, I will say, which I do agree with you, his lineups are a little inconsistent, I'd say. I don't necessarily have a problem with, um. like I said, I don't need my... I don't need my cleanup hitter hitting 300. I need him driving in runs and hitting for power, which he hasn't hit any home runs yet, which is a little concerning for me. But I think he'll get there. I know he'll get there. But Here's another thing, too. The Cubs had a big problem last year, or a couple years ago. This is one of their big complaints with Joe Madden. It was that he changed the lineups too much. Come to the ballpark, you don't know where you're hitting. You don't know where you're playing. And I'm not saying you keep the same starting nine, guaranteed cemented every game. If you have to make a couple tweaks, fine. Like the lineup tonight they have against the Indians, uh, they got Leary leading off, Moncada 2, uh, Brayu 3, uh, or Drawl 3, excuse me, Brayu 4, Jimenez 5, Mazzara 6, Robert 7, McCann 8, and Mendick 9. All right, there's a little bit of balance there. A couple things I disagree with, but you got to try something new. They got shut out last game. They got shut out against the Brewers. You got to mix it up, fine. They scored a run last game. Now you basically it was a garbage time run. Yes, they basically you, got you shut basically out. got shut yeah, out. That's, that's uh, so yeah, so like, if you have to mix it up once in a while, fine. But if you're mixing it up every game, like these guys like a rhythm where they can come to the ball, like they know where they're hitting. 
And that's the big thing the Cubs were complaining about. So Joe Manning ended up putting a lineup out a month in advance. Now, I don't think you should put it out a month in advance. you got to adjust game to game if a guy's hot. But, like, it should be somewhat consistent where you have a general idea where it's going to be. And if it needs a couple tweaks here and there, fine. Or it's not. It's not consistent at all. The only thing consistent has been a Brayu in the three-hole. And now he's moved to cleanup. Everyone's getting shuffled around. I think it's the, the big reason these Sox aren't driving in run RBIs. Like it's a lineup's a lot of whack. He's got rally killers coming. In. I don't know. I well, not a fan. I have a question though. Would okay. you do you think that Robert best batting average on the team would he be better service down in the lineup where he can drive in more? Runs? No, he's better service where he's getting the most at bats possible with that best batting average. As one of our but best again, hitters, you want him getting the most at bats. You want him getting four at bats a game or three? Like you said, this is the Sox have not scored more than three runs the past five games, and part of yeah, that but is it's not all on Robert. But you said he's getting on base. No one's driving him in though. That's part of the problem. They get. They get guys in scoring position, they just can't drive them in. And so I feel like Robert, especially Robert can be that guy bringing in a lot of runs down in the sixth spot where he's not as pressured to get on base as much at the leadoff spot. There's no pressure. He, he needs leadoff, leadoff is. I'd say leadoff's one of the most pressure out of any spot in the order. Because you have to get on base at the well, leadoff okay. spot. Your first at bat, you need to get on base. But after that, it gets so shuffled anyway, where half the time you're not even leading off the inning. Now, I want my guy, one, two, to be two of the best hitters on the team because they're getting the most at bats. That's what I want. I don't think he should be down at seven. No I more Mazzara should not be batting ahead of uh, Luis Robert. For the time being, right now, I like Robert at the sixth spot. Yeah. I, th- I think he's a good protection. For your other guys toward the middle of the order, Grandal and Abreu, they don't have they don't have to have as much pressure. You got one of your best hitters down there. He's got more chances of driving runs, and you're not just stranding him on base all the time. Me, but for the time being, I'm not saying you stick him there his whole career because obviously I think he can be a two hitter, a leadoff hitter that for his whole career. But as of right now, in a team that has not been scoring a lot of runs. I like him in the sixth spot. Now, I see we're we're gonna have to disagree there. I think I don't know. Hopefully, they can turn it around soon. But I haven't seen any improvement here. And this is the offense that's supposed to be, especially with all these injuries. They got a lot of depth. This is the offense that came into this year, very like the high expectations for them. Like, that's supposed to be the strong suit. And these last couple of games, it hasn't been. So they got to get something figured out. Figured out. Um, or this thing could go downhill real quick, especially with all these injuries. I think they'll get Tim Anderson back uh, sometime this week. So fingers crossed on that. Uh, I know there's been a lot of injuries, like we've kept saying, but, uh, you know, they this offense should be doing a lot more than what they're doing. Now, I might expect him to go out there scoring seven runs every game, but, you know, once in a while when you have runners first and third, nobody out, it would be nice if we could score. Now, there's been too many times this year where I've seen bases loaded and we can't even scratch a run across. So, you know, some timely hitting would be nice. Which, I don't know. We, we, we haven't seen it. Cubs have seen it. I think Cubs look good this year. That's a veteran team that I'd be worried about. They're on their last hurrah. They they could make some noise. Now, the bullpen, they're not winning any World Series because that bullpen's horrendous, and you need a good bullpen to win in this league. So the starting pitching can only carry them so long. But their offense, I think, is legit. I think they, they, look, they look very good. Wilson Contreras has been good. And it's been interesting, too. This is our last topic. Of the day. I've knocked Kyle Schwarber for being a bad left fielder. 
I think he'd be perfect for the DH, and that's what a lot of Cubs fans thought initially to start the year. He has not played DH once this season, and he's been a fairly serviceable left fielder. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, we got Eloy Jimenez, who, I don't know if you saw Christian Yelich's Inside the Park Homer the other day. He hit a pop fly, jogging out of the box. He was tanking it. He thought it was going to be caught. Not only did Eloy take a horrible route on the baseball, he lets it drop, and then he goes tumbling into the net. By the time he gets up and picks up the ball, Yelich is rounding third. That was a horrible defensive display. He missed a couple games earlier in the year because he ran into the wall. It's like he doesn't even know there's a wall out there in left field. He's just oblivious to it. It's not even like awareness. He's just like, yeah, there's no wall here. He goes smacking into it. Then he misses like four or five games. I'd rather have Schwarber in left field than Eloy Jimenez defensively. For all the crap we give Kyle Schwarber, he's a better defensive fielder than Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez is 23 years old, and people are calling him to be a permanent DH. You should not be a permanent DH if you're 23 years old. Yeah, you get this thing figured out, Eloy. Yeah, I I hate to say it, I agree with you there. But, I mean, that's the dilemma you have, though. With this roster they have, you can't really afford to put him at DH. I mean, who are No, you can't. No, you, I, I'm not saying to put him at DH, but we the def- but defense yeah. has to improve. That, that is the problem. I know. You've got some good outfield. I mean, Adam Engel, if he's getting on base like he's doing, he's a fantastic outrunner up for the gold glove a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And Luis Robert, he can go get it out in center field. And so at times you can, the Sox can put out a good outfield. It's just that, like you were saying, you, you have to put them out there because you have to put in other guys in this lineup who can, and that's just the dilemma they're at. But you're dead right to be. Already at this is at his age, saying he's going to be a permanent DH is just not a good sign, and unfortunately, I think that's what's going to happen because you look, he's just going to get himself injured out there in left field unless he has just a significant turnaround. But like you said, clumsy, and I, and like you said before, sure we're not a good outfielder by any means. Well, he's but, become I, serviceable. Exactly. I give him oh, credit. Yeah. He's definitely become like. He, he's become a star. Is he a good outfielder by any means? No. But he's at least become serviceable out there where he's not embarrassing some himself. So, you know, that's kind of a nice luxury for the Cubs. We'll see if their starting pitching can keep up what they've been doing. And it's always fun when Craig, <laughs> I'm not a Cubs fan, but when Craig Kimbrell comes in the game, I always find it must-watch television to yeah. see if he's going to blow it. I think, honestly, if I'm David Ross, and I will say for David Ross, I have my doubts about him being hired as the manager for the Cubs, I'm like, oh, they're not going to respect him at all. He was with one of them on the team, the whole Grandpa Rossi thing. But he's a hard ass. You listen to him talk at the press, he doesn't take any crap. And I think he's, he's pulled, he's given Kimbrell every opportunity to earn the role. I think he's pulled him at the right time. He hasn't uh, left him in too long. In fact, he let Hendricks go the full nine innings on opening day, where Joe Madden most likely would have pulled him when he's on that role. Uh, I think he's done a good job as a manager so far. He's been very impressive. They haven't had any COVID tests, which I think partly goes to the manager and the culture that they're establishing. So uh, I think he's done a good job, and I think if you're him, uh, you might want to go to uh, uh, Jeremy Jeffers uh, as your closer, or Jeffries, because the Kimball experience is not working. It's not looking good when Rowan Wick has the most saves on your team. No, and And I said said this before the season, in our uh, our, um, preseason prediction thing, I said Rowan Wick was their best reliever, and I stand by that. Rowan Wick probably is their best reliever, but like you said, that's not good. If you're having to take flyers on Calvin Herrera, who just got released by the White Sox, that's not a good sign. 
Not a good sign at all. Finally, shout out Zach Birdie, uh, Illinois native. Local boy. Local boy. Just made his debut in the MLB. Struck out two batters. Scoreless inning. The one good thing to come out of the White Sox loss to the Indians. That is all we have for you this week. Uh, make sure you follow our YouTube channel, Dorm Room Dispute, uh, on YouTube, and our Twitter handle, at Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. Uh, that's all I have. you have anything else to add? No, I'm just hoping they figure out, the Sox figure out that lineup, and I'd Hopefully they turn it around tonight, but I, I've got my hopes that they stay at 500. They can sneak into the playoffs this year and maybe potentially make a run. Well, Maxion got canceled. I know you're going to Nebraska this year, so you're a big college football fan. Are you concerned about college football now that the MAC conference got canceled and we will have nothing to watch on Tuesday nights in November? Uh, I look Right now, the Big Ten commissioner in an interview saying he's favoring a spring season. So right now it's looking doubtful for any football in the fall, but you know, it has to be done. It's, it's not worth it. Yeah. I, high, Illinois there. high schools, they went to a football a spring schedule uh, or football in the spring. They start in uh, February and they ended up going to March. So it'll be interesting if they can pull that off. But some of these places like Illinois are pretty dang cold in February. Anyway, that is all we have for you. Thank you so much for listening. Marshall will be back on the next episode. Have a wonderful rest of your week.